everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Sinus, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Again, we have our co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink, on me tonight. We are just about a week away from first ball, the main draw at the U.S. Open. We have a lot of storylines we want to discuss, but before we get to those individual storylines, Steve, if anyone had Caroline Garcia and Borna Chorich winning this Masters 1000 in Cincinnati, Western and Southern Open, go ahead and buy yourself some lottery tickets because <laughs> you are one of the very rare uh, people to pick that. Unbelievable weeks from both Caroline Garcia and Borna Chorich. Yeah, it sure was. I mean, listen, uh, Garcia beating Kvitova and really well played from her end of the court and solid as can be. And then Korich, what a week he had because it was it was special enough that he beat Rap after beating Musetti, which was a good win before Rap. And then he goes on and beats Felix. He beats he beats uh, he ends up winning the title today, obviously, over Sitsipas. But in between, he's knocking off Cam Nori. I mean, what what a phenomenal week. Rafa was the only one to win a set off of him, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he and and uh, you know that wasn't easy either, because he Rafa broke him one time in the middle of the second set. That was it for the match. So, yeah, no, it was a terrific. Week. We knew David how good Forge was. Uh, right. You know, the, he had over Federer in the past, including one on grass. He'd beaten Rafa a couple of times in the past, so we we knew. He'd shown so many signs. Then to be out with his shoulder injury, it kind of pretty much shot him for a year, took his ranking way down. And this is so well-deserved to see him back in this league again and coming into the open with a lot of confidence as a result. But you know what I find interesting, just as a brief sidetrack, David, is that great win for him here, great win for Carino Busta in the previous Masters 1000 in Canada. Yes. But but who would have believed that the, those would be our two hardcore winners over the summer for the men, considering what, what those fields. Uh, and to add to that, Steve, the, the four semifinalists in Montreal all lost in the right. first round of since he right. is a tough turnaround. But oh, that was yeah. something that, interesting. as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's that's always a tough turnaround. And, and there's just even if you get a couple of days off and don't start till Wednesday, it's it's a little much. And I think for Carino Busta, he was just so uh, gratified to finally win a prize like that, that maybe he just had a, a, a emotional letdown as well as physical. But I, I just think that it, I just meant it more in the context that it's you don't really look for core. I mean, I think Corridge could have a very good open. Karina Busto, listen, he was a he was two sets to love up in the semifinals against Zarev a couple of years ago to be in right. the final. And and, and then he would have, you know, he would have played team. Who's to say what would have happened there? But so he can really play on hard courts. And Corridge is coming. This big win will give him a head of steam going in. But I, I'm not saying I would like I really think either one of them is going to win the U.S. Open, but it just it's fascinating because Medvedev lost to Sitsipas here. So he even after, after Los Cabos, he stalled a bit. He lost to Nick the previous week. And Sitsipas looked like he was poised to win this after beating Medvedev, but only the third time in 10 career meetings. And he didn't quite have it physically today. Mm-hmm. And so you look at all the leaders and Nick kind of ran out of steam himself uh, against Taylor Fritz this week. So he's maybe a bit overplayed played now and he's going to try to come back strong at the open. But it makes the picture coming into the open a little bit muddled, but not not in a negative way. It's just a lot of guys are playing well, and a lot of the top guys are going to try to capture their best, recapture their best form. 
100% agree, Steve. And what we'll do in this type of segment, we're going to bounce around a little bit and we'll just hit on some storylines. I want sure. to start first. Very intriguing first-round match on the ladies' side with Emma Raducanu and Serena Williams. Both yeah. players didn't really have much positive action going on before. Obviously, Serena hadn't played for a long time. She plays Wimbledon. She loses early there. Again, not match tough at all, right? Emma, she had her miraculous run through qualifying and winning the Open. She's changed coaches so many times now. She hasn't had a lot of positivity. Let's start with Emma, and then we'll get to Serena. Emma beats Serena 6-4-6-0, and what I even liked further is the very next match, she beat Vika Azarenka 6-0-6-2. She yeah. did lose a tough one to just uh, Pagula, I think. Two, two close, yeah. uh, two close right. sets, but... Right. It was nice to see Emma put together some back-to-back matches, even in the match she lost to, to Jess, seeing some good tennis from her because it has been a rocky road since New York of last year for Emma. Well, you said it, David. It's been long overdue, I believe. I mean, listen, she had, she had, there was still a learning curve after the Open despite how spectacular she was there last year. Understandable. But, yeah, you put your finger on it. To, it's one thing that uh, Serena's struggling physically. Serena apparently had a little knee issue over the weekend. They put the day off, the match off yeah. for one night. It didn't help her much. But then to follow it up by beating Azarenka even more decisively than she beat Serena, that, that was a big lift for Emma. And as you mentioned, the Pagula match, that was a hard-fought, well-played match. No disgrace. She's such a tough pro, Pagula. She can beat just about anybody. So... It was a lift. It was a big lift this week for Emma. And I hope that that's just what she needs to, because it would be a tall order to defend the open title, but I, you don't want to see her lose early either. I'm hoping she can make something of a run there and rekindle some of the memories from a year ago. And I, I want to hear your thoughts on Serena before I give a prediction of, of how I think it's going to go for Serena in New York. Are you bullish on her? Um, you know, the crowd's going to be behind her hundred percent. Are you, are you scared that she could bow out very early in this tournament? More the latter. I mean, I would never sell her short. I do think the crowd support could mean something if she gets in a couple of, if there's a tight match early on, it could carry her through maybe a couple of rounds, depending on the draw. I just don't see her lasting long. I think physically something is, she's not, doesn't seem to be all there physically. Uh, and, and, and we haven't heard much from her. She didn't do the press conferences, I gather. And so just a couple of quick TV interviews. So there's no way to really gauge what she's thinking. But I, I think it's going to, she, she cannot, she'll go, she could go somewhere on adrenaline, somewhere, but not everywhere. So I just feel like, okay, to me, the limit would be the round of 16. I cannot see her possibly going beyond there but she could lose anywhere in the first three rounds too, depending on the draw. So I just hope the draw is somewhat kind that she can at least win a match or two and then go out with the New York crowds excited that she's made something of an impression of what's going to be her last U S open. So I think, and again, we don't, the draw is not yet. So it's just me having a prediction. If, if the tennis fans remember, I think this could be very, very similar to 2006, how Andre Agassi went out in the U.S. Open. And I'll, tell, I'll talk about how it went, because I, Andre was very uncomfortable, very hurt. He had all the stuff with the back, taking shots, cortisone shots, whatever, just trying to get through. Um, I think, you know, in 2006, Andre beat Andre Pavel. Then he beat a seed, Marcos Bagdadis, in that unbelievable match. Went, you know, very late in the night, New York crowd going crazy. Then he flamed out in that next match versus Benjamin Becker. 
I can see the very same thing again, depending on the draw, I can see the same, very same thing with Serena. She could beat someone in the first round. Then she plays a seed at night in the second round, New York crowd can pull her through that one and it could be electric. And then the third round, maybe, you know, that could be the end. It would be interesting to see if, you know, if it mirrors like that. And again, you know, Andy Roddick, when he had his press conference, what was it in 2012, when he said um, he was done, he had a nice little run. So let's see if she could uh, get a little run, even if it stopped like as short as maybe the third round. I think there's still going to be a big win in there for Serena Williams. Listen, you're, you're probably slightly, you're obviously are more optimistic than I am. And and that would be terrific if it happened. I'm basing my projection more on she kind of a, gets she doesn't hit anybody doesn't hit one of those seeds in the first couple of rounds or maybe not until the second round and it's a very low seed and then sees where she, where she can go from there i i'm just concerned that she really didn't get enough preparation here a couple of matches in the first tournament and just the one match here against emma in cincinnati I think she kind of I, I felt like she needed combined in the two terms to get five or six matches in to really feel matched up. But listen, I could be wrong. And, and I, I, I that's why I say I don't I, I never want to sell her short. And I think there's no doubt that those crowds are going to be oh. well, they'll be they'll be like they were for Andre, as you mentioned. It'll be at least like that. And and she will feed off of that. But the question is going to be, does she have enough to produce right now uh i i I don't see it but boy it's one of those cases where you like to be wrong because it's the best thing for the tournament is she makes something of a run and goes out in style we shall see yeah i I think there's still there's still something left in there for that new york crowd to celebrate so we'll see um francis tiafo talk about a tough luck summer um you know he in washington dc he had like five match points against nick kyrgios loses to nick Montreal, he loses to Taylor Fritz after being up 4-0 in the third. This match in Cincy against Berrettini got through it. 7-6 in the third set. And we're like, okay, he's had some tough draws, really tough draws. Gets through it. 7-6 in the third over Matteo Berrettini. See if he can make a run. He lost to, to Sebi Court, obviously. We're fans of Sebi. Um, kind of disappointing. I wanted Francis to have a little bit of run, a little bit more of a run in this tournament. Um where do you see him as he heads into New York? Well, obviously he played great at the U.S. Open last year. He beat Rublev before he lost to Felix. Uh, he he is another. He he's so dynamic in New York, and he, he his connection with the crowds is just phenomenal, and it will only grow significantly when he gets to New York versus a Cincinnati. So I think that definitely helps him. But again, it maybe needs a bit of help with the draw. And and uh, it's still going to be hard work. I, I hope he can replicate what he did a year ago because he, he's one of the most crowd pleasing performers in all of tennis. And and he really he's pretty unique that way in the way that he he kind of the connection to them, how he communicates with them, how he feeds off of them. All the players do it to some extent. He does a little more so. And I, so I feel like New York is his kind of place. Yeah. But, then you have to you have to also throw into the equation exactly what you were just talking about. Not a confidence building summer, a, a string of very difficult losses, and then to finally beat Berrettini, but come up a little empty against Corda. It's just it, it, he's in, he, he's not necessarily feeling as good about himself as he would like to. Having said that, 
I, 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 I'm never surprised to see him, especially in front of a big crowd, if, if anything, overperform, because that's just his nature. He, he loves the theater of tennis, and, and he'll get that in New York. I want to ask you about another young uh, American, and he definitely raised some eyebrows this week. This young American in Atlanta at the beginning of the summer hardcore swing took John Isner to 7-6 in the third. This week in Cincy, he gets his first top five win beating Casper Ruud, 6-3, 6-3. We've talked about him a little bit previously on these episodes. Ben Shelton, um, impressive. He's got a decision to make if he wants to go back to the University of Florida. He's already won the NCAAs. Yeah, I, I, it's a tough decision. I would think, you know, given the NCAAs and, and the success he had this week, a win of that caliber, if I had to, if we're a betting man, I'd lean toward the fact that he'll go, he'll go pro, he'll, that he will not go back to college. And, uh, but, but, it, but it's, a, it's a tough choice because, uh, you know, it's something you'd have to discuss with his father, who knows a lot about these things, and, and try to figure out what makes the most sense for the long run. So you don't want to get too carried away with the NCAAs on top of a nice win here this week and the good match with Isner and just say, okay, where, where, where do I really stand right now? What makes the most sense for me? But I think it's going to be awfully tempting to just stick with the pros and, and uh, forget about college. It's good, right. And, and the good news is, you know, he plays for his father and his father was a good, was a tour player. So, so right. Brian, his dad, Brian Shelton knows what this is all about. So oh, um, he does. And his father, and Brian will not want to make a selfish, he won't want to push him for selfish purposes, no. but they're going to, have to figure out as a father and son, what really makes sense for Ben and, and Brian, I I'm sure will give him great counsel on it one way or another. Are we concerned uh, with Rafael Nadal and his preparation going in. You know, he's he lost, again, we talked about it to the eventual champion, Borna Chorch, the only one to win a set on him this week. He stayed in Cincy a few days after his loss to practice. He, he was up in New York today. He was already practicing on Ash. Um, my opinion is I think he's okay. He's gonna, he said he hadn't played a lot of practice sets. He was able to practice a lot, but he wasn't doing a lot of practice sets. He's in New York now, plenty of time. I think they're going to line up a lot of players for him to play practice sets. I'm not that concerned. Am I going to say he's going to win the tournament? I can't say that, obviously. But as far as preparation going in, I think he's going to be okay. Yeah, I hear you. But he also said, David, that that the abdominal, that he still, when he served, he was sort of thinking, it was in the back of his mind. He was thinking a bit about the abdominal. So somehow he's not convinced that he's totally rid of it. That should change over the course of his practice days in New York. So hopefully that he eliminates that. Uh, now, that, and I can't say that just because he got one match in and not more in Cincinnati, that that's going to be crushing either because he's been through so much in the last year and he had no business winning Australia with this one warm-up tournament after all those months away, yet he did it. And he didn't get at all the preparation he wanted for Roland Garros. That was cut way short, and when he walked up the court hobbling against Shapov after losing to Shapovalov, and look what happened in Roland Garros. So he still, you have to feel like he's got as good a chance as, as anybody in New York if physically he holds up. The other worry I have is, does the foot start acting? The foot seemed yes. fine in uh, Cincinnati. Uh, the, the, that looked absolutely fine, but he's got to just get rid of that, the nagging doubts about the abdominal injury and, and get on with it, and hopefully 
play his way into form in the early rounds. And then look, he's won the tournament four times as recently as 2017 and 19. And is anxious to get back there, you know, and, and, and really show his best stuff to the New Yorkers again. And I, I, I'm not putting it past him. I, I think, I think, He'll also come in physically very fresh. He maybe lacks those matches, but physically he's going to be very fresh and he'll play a lot of practice sets. So let's see where, where that takes him. Yeah. And two other people that I want to hear your thoughts on. They actually matched up against each other in the quarterfinals and since he, Carlos Alcaraz and Cam Nori. I think both are, are playing very well right now. If you watch that match, that was, that was really an entertaining match. Nori upset. You know, up up a set in four one. Alcaraz comes back. The point at five four in the tiebreaker. Uh, I think it was five four in the tiebreaker. Yeah, Everyone what? knows about that what? point. It was miraculous. Yeah. Um, Carlos then is up what three one in the third. He loses six four. Both yeah. those guys are going to be dangerous. And for some guys that we've talked about earlier in this segment, lacking a little confidence. I don't think these two guys are lacking confidence. I think no. they're going into New York strong. No, you're right. And then Nori, that was a big win because he lost to Carlos a couple of times this year. And, and so that was a big breakthrough for him. And he had the crowd overwhelmingly on Carlos's side, which he understood. He wasn't resentful, but it's still not easy to play under those conditions. And it was surprising, as you mentioned, the set in 4-1 and then Carlos broke him at 4-2 and, and turned that second set around to win it in the tie break after that spectacular point. And then I thought at 3-1, the third, he was going to do it. But problem was he also was cramping a bit and he was shaking his foot out and that didn't help him and then nori was ultra aggressive for him i was amazed the way he played that you know that he really went after his forehand and he was leaning into his two-hander you've yeah. said to me a couple of times that he reminds you of connor's on the two-hander I, and i've never totally bought into that only in the sense i see i always felt jimmy was so aggressive with his back end he'd step in he'd both feet off the ground and lace it but the way that Cam was playing in this match was more reminiscent of Connors. It was he was really aggressive, and I, I was impressed. And he couldn't sustain it against Korich and lost rather decisively there. But yeah, he, he'll come in feeling good. Plus, Semis of Wimbledon is also on his mind, and uh, Carlos still a bit frustrated by the summer not the results he wanted but he got a lot of matches in he he did get a lot of matches and i yeah. don't know if looking back he would have scheduled it differently it'll be interesting to see how he does it next year because he played those two clay court tournaments right, and right. We, there was some question about that i don't know if he would do um the exact thing again but he has a i think he has enough matches and like you said he's oh, definitely he match tough so he he'll does. be excited and you remember his performance Last year at the U.S. Open was. Oh no! Was I still, I still put him among the top three candidates. I mean, in New York, I would say the three guys to me with the best chance to win the tournament are Medvedev, Carlos, and I would say you know possibly Sitsipas, but definitely and maybe I, a healthy Rafa. A healthy Rafa. Oh uh, no! Sorry, no, 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 no. Let me amend that. Rafa is in the top three. So what I'm saying maybe is healthy. Yes. Medvedev, Carlos, and Rafa to me are the prime favorite sits of us behind them. And we don't we don't know but if Rafa's totally healthy exactly. But Carlos, I think he'll be prime for it. And the question is, can you know, will best of five help him? He, will he elevate his game? I think he will. I think we should probably see some of his best tennis since prior to the French Open, frankly. I think maybe we'll see the Carlos that was so brilliant from Miami through the clay court swing, from Indian Wells, really, for the clay court swing. And I and if that's the case, he's right in there with a chance. And I, so I got at, at Medvedev is, is harder harder to read right now. He won those Cabos, 
uh, David, but and, and that was a 250. But then Nick got him, and now he loses to Sitsipas, which was disappointing to him. Not terrible results to lose to to uh, Kyrgios and Sitsipas, but he, he would have liked to have had one of those one of those 1000s. He wanted to put it in his pocket, and he did, wasn't able to do so. So it, it's fascinating. There's no there's no clear favorite, although I would think based on his experience, Rapa might be the slight favorite because he's done it before and he's got two majors this year. And, and, and that, that counts for something. I want to flip it over to uh, ask you uh, thoughts on, on two others, females this time. And I want to preface it. I want to talk about Madison keys and we've talked about Madison a couple, you know, a few times on these episodes. And I want to say, I am a fan of Madison keys. I like her and I want her to do well. She had a great week. Um, but she she beat she beat both the French Open winner and the Wimbledon winner. I mean, you can't get much better than that this week. The thing that I've always had with her, maybe it's because I coach and I look at it as a coaching angle, is you just never know what you're going to get as far as a result. She always tries out there. It's never a question of that. It's like I was saying to someone the other day, she may be the only player on tour where if someone told me, Steve, if someone told me she's going to lose in the first round or she's going to win the tournament, I would take those percentages as, as almost equal. And again, maybe it's because I look at it as a coach and it's kind of hard when you don't know exactly what you're going to get day in and day out. Again, it's not for lack of trying at all. She always puts forth the effort, but um, I cannot predict anything about Madison keys. And I just hope she, she does well. And, and I mean, we all know when she, when she's on, she could, she could win any tournament. Yeah, but that you just put your, you know, you you put your finger on the pulse there in the sense that you you don't know exactly how she's going to perform on any given day, and the reason is that she doesn't always have the greatest margin for error, you know. So that you know, it obviously if things are clicking and she's confident, and the small margin doesn't matter. She's hitting lines, she's hitting winners, she's just on a roll. But but other players have a more of a safety net than she does. So a hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. But David, on the other hand, this was this was what she needed coming into the open. She needed a tournament like this. She got it. So I'm glad for her. I also think she's one of these people, David, that, you know, her from her. Um, the, the way she feels about herself, her mindset, her, you know, the inner belief there can be a lot of fluctuation. Sometimes she's she can get she has great, confident runs where you feel like she believes in herself. And other times where you feel like she's beating herself up. That's interesting because she said, you know, she has played well in Cincy before, and she says she likes playing there. Um, and and that, that's a good point. She seems to always be comfortable again. She had a great week. She beat uh, Iga Sviatek and, and uh, you yeah. know, Rabakina. I mean, again, French Open and Wimbledon champ. Unbelievable week. Um, I hope she stays on a roll and she has a good, good run in New York. The other one I wanted to mention to you, Steve, um, just as far as because she had a pretty good summer, she rolled her ankle. Hopefully she's healthy as that's Coco Goff. Again, talk about the New York crowds. Um, can't really say much about this week other than she is number one in the world in doubles, which is huge accomplishment for her. She probably didn't even think about that. She said in herself at a press conference, she didn't even know when she started on tour that there were separate rankings for doubles. Um, but she's had a pretty good summer. You would hate the ankle not to be 100%. She didn't seem very worried about it when she tweeted after, uh, when she tweeted about it after. I hope she gets a good run because similar to Serena, the New York crowds is going to back, are going to back her immensely. Yeah. I think she will, David, as far as the ankle, you know, I, I got to believe that the people around her can tell her how long to stay off the courts and what to do to heal it. And there's enough time. And, and then she has that added 
sense of, of, of self-conviction gained from getting to the finals of the French Open. I mean, that's something she takes with her into New York, that she's, and that's going to make a difference. Uh, that having gone, having finally gotten to a, a major final like that and, and hard courts in some ways, I feel like they suit her game even better than the clay. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I think, as, again, as long as that as she's healed, Coco can go very deep into this draw. She has an outside chance to win it, but she certainly can go. Wouldn't shock me at all to see her in, in, the, in, the, in the semifinals. So many storylines, and we're going to talk about this next week when we do a preview. Next time we talk, we'll have the draw out, so we'll be able to see, um, you know, we'll be able to see paths for certain players. I do want to, I guess, a, a public service announcement. For those around the New York area, um, the U.S. Open qualifying is something to go see. And to me, pressure is all relative, Steve. That third day of qualifying, if you can get through that final round of qualifying, and, and, and you know this more than anyone, that's an $80,000 payday. And that could make these guys years. It's like the golfers, right? Trying to get their tour card. I can make the argument again. It's, 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 you're not always comparing apples to apples. It's all relative, but I can make the argument that that third day of qualifying is the most pressure packed day there is for that individual player, more than let's say a final of a U.S. Open for someone like a Rafa, who's already won 22 of these things and have been there. These guys, the, if you can go, and again, I know it's expensive going to New York for the main draw, go check out the qualities. You will be shocked at the level of play. And that third round, everybody leaves everything out there because of that payday. Yeah, listen, I think, I think every day, I think all those qualifying rounds are filled with tension and possibilities and deep disappointments for those who can't get out of there. I, I know a lot of fans, David, friends of mine that are big tennis fans. They, they, they'd almost rather go to the qualifying than the first couple of rounds of the tournament. They love the qualifying. And I understand why. And you, you end up seeing a lot of future stars coming out of there. And it, there's, there's something very uh, special about it all. And, and I, I, this year is going to be no exception. And, and I mean, you want to see a heartbreak, Steve. I mean, I, I remember it from last year. I mean, I, I've seen guys who have had guys and girls have match points in that third round and lose and not get through the main draw. And, you know, the, the pressure is immense and they, they see an $80,000 payday that could help carry them the whole following year. Right. Um, it, it's crushing. And it's, it's, it's what sports is all about. Um, there's, there's good and there's heartbreak, but if you're a, if you're a tennis fan, definitely try to get out there. The last thing I want to mention um, before we end Steve is, we're embarking on the 20th anniversary of Pete and Andre, their last, their last match, Pete's last professional match. I just posted today on Twitter um, an, an article that I wrote about their rivalry. There's quotes from both yourself, Steve, and Brad Gilbert um, from our own conversation and from our podcast. This, the podcast and the article, they all have the footnotes cited. So if the listeners want to take a deeper uh, dive into the rival, uh, the rivalry between Andre and Pete, Go read the article. Let me know what you think. Um, it was it was it was fun for me to do. And Steve, I think of all the episodes we've done, the one that you and I did on Andre and Pete still has got to be top top three of the ones we've done. I enjoyed that conversation so much because, and I think it was because you're a little bit more of a Pete guy and I'm a little bit more of an Andre guy. Yet we both respected both so so much and what they brought to the game. Still so much fun um, when I look back when we did that episode. Yeah. Oh, no, that was a great episode. A lot, a lot of fun. And we had spoken about them before when I came on your show uh, 
prior to that to talk about the book I wrote on Pete, Greatness Revisited. And so, yeah, it's always fun because I, I know how you feel about Agassi. I know how, how you hold him in the highest regard. And, and, and that, that rivalry, listen, it, it, it's, it, it's different from the likes of Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal. You know, different nationalities. So it's a different feeling in this country. And, and, and the fans love those rivalries and have their favorites among the trio, whether it's Djokovic, Federer, or Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic, Nadal. I mean, they, they take your pick. They're all monumental rivalries. But as far as American tennis is concerned, the Sampras-Agassi rivalry was, was, was right, sort of right up there with, say, Connors and McEnroe, gr- greater in some ways. In some ways, consi- you know, but in each case, there were so many major finals played and Pete and Andre played in five of them. And this was the last one. And this was their third U.S. Open final going back to 1990. So it was just so fitting that in many ways, from Sampras's end of the court, that in many ways his, his career had started. Granted, he'd been playing for a couple of years on the pro tour, but that was his first major unexpected seeded 12 on this incredible run of beating Thomas Mooster, the number six seed, and then Lendl, the three-time champion who'd been in eight finals in a row. Uh, he beats him in the quarters, and then Mackinac in the semis was a four-time champion, and finally Agassi, who was a heavy favorite, to win in 90. And here they are 12 years later, and in a lot of ways, David, Andre was expected to win again. He'd had a much better year than Pete had, and Pete had come off the, the loss, of, which to him was, was, I don't want to say humiliating, but close to that, to lose to George Bassel at Wimbledon in the, the, the lucky loser the second round of Wimbledon, but that I think is what spurred him on to win that last U S open. He was so determined that he was going to come back and that, that he was going to get rid of the bad taste of the Bastel loss and come to New York. And he was seated 17th. Yeah. And Andre had beaten the defending champion. Uh, Andre had beaten uh, Leighton Hewitt, who had beaten Pete in the final of the year before Andre beats him in the semis. Yep. And then Pete goes out against Andre and, and it was a, he got on a such a roll that open. He got on such a roll yeah. that he crushed he Andy did. Rock a couple rounds earlier. Crushed Rock in the quarters, which was a big win along the way, and then beat Sheng Shokin in the semis. And then in that final, he won the first two sets, and Andre battled back hard to win the third before Pete took it six four in the fourth set. And but it was it was for for New Yorkers, you know, who'd been through nine eleven the year before to have these two Americans playing in the finals. Uh, the unexpectedly playing in the finals of the U.S. Open one last time after their incredible quarterfinal the year before, the best match they ever played against each other from both sides of the net, the best match they've had. And then to meet here in the final was it was there was just something very poignant about it and very fitting in a lot of ways. And they, they put on a great show. I can't believe it's 20 years. Shows I'm getting I'm getting older. We're all getting older, Steve. But um, and we are. Yeah, go we check are. out go check out that article. It's it, it it was so fun for me to write on. Hey, the next time we talk about this, I mean, we're gonna be looking at draws and we're gonna be uh we're gonna be right there. We're gonna be at the cusp of New York. So can't wait to do it again. Thanks again for your time tonight and uh get ready for the next few weeks. It's gonna be a blast. Yeah, looking forward to it, David. Look forward to doing our preview. It won't be too far off. Thanks, Steve.